Welcome to the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. This is Brewers on Tap. Here's the pitch. A Time to tap the keg with Lane Grindle. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Brewers on Tap. It is great to have you with us as the Brew Crew continuing the 2020 season, as unique as it is. And they currently sit at 7-10 coming into Friday night's contest at Wrigley against the Chicago Cubs. The Brewers had a tough homestand and got uh, the road trip started off on the wrong foot on Thursday night. Hugh Darvish was really good for Chicago. He had a no-hitter going into the seventh inning. The Brewers were able to break up that no-hitter with a Justin Smoke solo home run. They added a run in the ninth inning as well, but they ended up falling 4-2 to two at the hands of of the Chicago Cubs. So the Brewers sit at 7-10, and 10, and while that may not look like the record you were hoping for, it still puts them right in the mix for a postseason spot. Remember, there's expanded postseason in 2020, and so the Brewers still very much a part of things in terms of the postseason conversation. As, as we've seen so many times, especially over the last couple of years, a hot September can change everything. The Brewers are hoping that that will be the case again in 2020. The pitching staff has been good. Brandon Woodruff's been good. Adrian Hauser has been good. Corbin Burns has been very good out of the bullpen. Eric Yardley's been great. David Phelps has been outstanding. And, of course, Josh Hader has been Josh Hader. So, Overall, the Brewers feel really good about what's going on with their pitching staff. The questions remain on the offensive side for the crew. This has been an offense that has not been hot to start the year. Christian Yelich had a tough start through the month of July. He had probably as rough a stretch as he's ever had as a major league hitter. That's changed. He came into Thursday's game hitting 300 in the month of August with three home runs and a slugging percentage of 733, getting on base at a much better clip now as well for Christian Yelich. So that's a really positive sign for the Brewers' offense. Another positive sign, Keston Hira starting to show that power again. If the Brewers can get him going, if they can get Justin Smoke going, and he had a good night at the plate on Thursday night, well, then this offense should change significantly. This is an offense that has much more potential than what they've shown so far. And so when the law of averages start to work themselves out, one would figure the Brewers' offense will start to click. And if this pitching staff can continue to perform the way that it is, the Brewers will be right in the mix for a postseason spot when the season ends. The interesting thing is we're just a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline, which is just wild to think about. And I don't know what to expect about the trade deadline. We're going to try to talk to David Stearns in the next couple of weeks on the podcast to kind of set up what this may look like. It's going to be a unique and bizarre year, just like everything is, when it comes to deadline deals for these teams that are contenders. Here's what we have for you on the podcast today. We're excited about it. We're going to talk to Jeff Cirillo today. And we're going to listen in on my conversation with him on our Clubhouse Conversations. Of course, I have been doing Clubhouse Conversations uh, via Zoom over the last couple of weeks. We've had Sal Bando on there. We've had Brent Suter on there. Cecil Cooper has joined us. And Jeff Cirillo has joined us. And you're going to get a chance to listen to some of my conversation with Jeff Cirillo on the podcast today. Also, pitching coach Chris Hook is going to join us 
and uh, I think you're going to really enjoy that conversation. Chris Hook has a lot of interesting things to say about some of the Brewers' arms, whether it's bullpen arms or the starting rotation. Again, it's been a real bright spot for this team so far this year, and I'm looking forward to, to talking a little pitching with Chris Hook. I think you're going to enjoy that conversation as well. So that's what's coming up for you. Of course, the Brewers continuing their road trip. They have three more with the Cubs tonight, Saturday, and Sunday. Then an off day Monday. It's been a while since the crew's had an off day. And then they will go to Minnesota and take on those twins with that really good lineup and finish up the road trip in Pittsburgh against the Pirates. Okay, let's jump into our clubhouse conversations. It's always good to see you. How are you? Look at look at the props you have in the background. This this looks good. Right, you like that? I set that up. You know, I'm going to take the Zoom call seriously today. <laughs> so now, okay, I, uh, we've got the uh, the Wall of Honor plaque with the right. mask. So you're masked the, up. That's great. Great message, yeah. right? Right, right. Got the mask. Got a uh, Adam's book that he's been telling me to take a picture of. So I thought I'd do that. There you go. If you can see that. Nice plug for McCalvey. Yeah, buy my book. Then I have my only bobblehead that I've ever got in my life. It's from the Beloit Brewers. So I thought, thought I'd throw that in there. And then there's like an old book, Brewers book in there. So there you go. There you go. I'm we've ready a, for you guys. We've got a nice little Jeff Cirillo shrine behind behind <laughs> you as you talk to us. So we're, <laughs> so we're excited to have everybody with us. Well, we're going to have fun here over the next 25 minutes or so. We're going to jump into a bunch of different questions with Jeff, talk about his path to the big leagues and some observations on baseball today and everything else. And Jeff spent a little time around the club this spring as well. So he'll be able to give us some, some observations from that standpoint, 14 year MLB career, Jeff, eight of those, of course, with the Brewers, you left and you came back towards the end of your career again, uh, two time all-star. One of those was, was with the crew, just a tremendous career. And, and I know when you, when you look back on your time in Milwaukee, you, you think of it very fondly because of the fans and everything that they mean to the organization. What, when you look back on those eight years with the Brewers, what is it that stands out to you the most? Well, any player will tell you no one takes, takes care of you as good as the team that drafts you. You know, um, in a baseball career, it's basically it's called diapers to diapers. You know, they kind of rear you as a, as a kid, as a young kid, and then you come up with that team. So you only know the Brewers. And you only hear the folklore of the Robin Youngs, Jim Gantners, and, um, and Paul Molitors and how they play. And they carried that, that on for the rest of us. So no one – and then even when I came back, it was like I had never left. So it was, it was some great memories. You had a 296 career batting average. Um, you were a guy that hit pretty consistently throughout the course of your career. What, what was your philosophy with hitting, you know, what, what was your goal? What was your plan when you came to the plate every time? It, it was really kind of simple. And I know in today's, today's world of technology and, and launch angles and all that other stuff, but mine was uh, really, there's three things after I did after an unsuccessful at bat, you know, and, and I would go to, you know, did I see the ball clearly? You know, was I just present with the pitcher? You know, nothing I got us that I hope or whatever. And was I loose with my upper half or was I tight? And did I swing at strikes? So that I hit the ball where it was pitched. That was basically my mantra. And I had the ability to hit the ball the other way, no matter where the pitch was. So, and I think to hit for a high average, especially in today's game, you've got to be able to um, maneuver the ball where it's pitched. I was just going to say in today's game, being able to hit the other way is incredibly valuable. And uh, I mean, when with shifts and everything, of course, if you're hitting the ball consistently the other way, you're not going to get shifted, which 
a lot of guys like to not get shifted as well, right? Right. It's, it's a different animal because I've talked to some guys and, you know, guys that, that I played with and, and, you know, and I was never going to be one of those guys says, well, when I played, it was a lot harder because I think today's game is harder because of just the sheer velocity. I know when it was 95 miles an hour, it was more like the crash Davis approach from bull Durham, where it was like quick bat, quick bat. You're saying quick bat at the plate. So the ability to, you know, ride it out and stay back on a ball when these guys are throwing, you know, mid to upper 90s, it's a different animal. I think one of the situations that I want to talk about that I think is funny and kind of ironic and unique is your last season, 2007. Um, you're playing for the Diamondbacks, playing against the Brewers. You get a pitch. <laughs> and you were a pitcher when you first came in to college at USC, right? You started at USC as a pitcher, I think. So you, you, get, a, you get on the mound in 2007 against the Brewers, and I think you struck out Council, who was also a former Diamondback, which is ironic too. That had to be hilarious in some ways. I mean, did you get a chuckle out of that when it was all said and done? It was great. Unfortunately, I'd only been with the, the Diamondbacks for about a week to 10 days. Right. Uh, they, they picked me up for the, the stretch, when, and we won the division, which was fantastic. But I was only there for about a week, so my personality really couldn't shine in that moment. <laughs> um, but Bob Melvin, who was the manager at the time, um, and we're playing the Brewers, and, and you know, granted, if, if we're playing, we're probably getting our, our butts kicked. So Bob Melvin asked that, hey, real we don't come back here in the in the eighth inning do you want to pitch the ninth and I told him I'm like I've been waiting 14 years to pitch the ninth so I went down there he's like you need warm-ups I'm like no I'm good so yeah like I said so and it was hot and uh and I wore that and I had to wear sleeves because I had this thing that I wore on my arm it was almost like a like a tourniquet kind of opened up some space in the back of my elbow I mean keep in mind I'm 38 years old right you know pitching so I've got this thing on my elbow but you're not allowed to wear anything on your arm. Right. So I had to put some sleeves on and we're playing in Arizona and I am just sweating beads out there. Uh, and I did strike out Craig Council, which was, which was not good for him, but it was, I wish it would have been like Billy Hall. And it was close, man, it was, I, I have that inning on tape and Darren Sutton, the old play-by-play -play guy for the Brewers was calling the game. And um, <laughs> it was a good, it was a fun time. I wish my personality could have come out better, but I was only there for a short time. Have you and Counts talked about it since? I don't really bring it up to him. If he <laughs> brings it up to me, I will, I will bring it up to him. But other than that, I, you know, it's one of those ones that he was very uncomfortable because I think he was in a bad slump. And then, you know, they pan into the dugout on Craig Council and, you know, he just had the gas space working, right? Real, when you, when you look <laughs> at – he, he's giving you the ball. And as you said, you'd waited 14 years for this. Did you in your mind know what you could and couldn't throw? Or is it like, hey, I'm just going to throw it as hard as I can and see what happens? Or did you throw different pitches? And did you have kind of an idea of, okay, I can throw these three things? Uh, I was throwing everything up there to him. I was throwing knuckleballs and change-ups. It was great because Johnny Estrada, who played for the Brewers for a short time, mm -hmm. was a switch hitter. And Mark Grace is the, uh, the color guy in the thing. And he goes, oh, they got the scouting report. You know, Cirillo's got a knuckleball. So Johnny Estrada went up to the plate right-handed because <laughs> I had a knuckleball. So that was kind of funny. So they knew. They knew what to be ready for. Um, <laughs> that's, I, I still love that story. I think that's amazing. Um, your time at third base and your ability to play defense. You, you had 99 consecutive games without an error. Major League record. I think John Wainer shares it with you. 
Um, that's, that's incredible. How often did you think about that when you came to the ballpark? I can talk to you about it now because it's over. Couldn't have talked to you about it when it was going on. How much did you think about that as it was going on? Um, once it got a little life, I mean, you really don't think about, you know, how many errors you kind of just put it in more of a, in 162 game look of like how many errors you have compared to the next third baseman. Right. And now they have a lot more analytics of like the true definition of a, of a defender over there. But at the time, you know, I knew that I was having a good season statistically as far as lack of errors. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't until it probably got to the 70 game mark that it probably started uh, it didn't weigh on me ever but it was one of those ones that you started thinking about down the stretch for sure you were around the team a little bit uh over the course of spring training you, you called some games on fox sports wisconsin uh, you did some analyst work back in the late 2000s i think too after your playing career was over for the brewers but you had a chance to see this team a little bit a lot has changed since then uh in in the midst of this pandemic but what were some of your up close observations of the brewers and, um, you know, 15 games in to the 2020 season, even though it looks a lot different, what are some of your observations now? Well, I just saw that the arms that they have, just the quality arms and the starting rotation and then the bullpen and then the Andersons they brought in and the Limbrim from, from Korea they brought in. So, I mean, Stearns does a great job of just finding talent and, and you know, mixing in, you know, some younger players with some veteran players and, and I've obviously, you know, with Christian Yelich now swinging the bat better, you know, it definitely bodes well for the Brewers. Yeah, he's looked like himself over the last week plus or so, and that's been, I think, a very welcome sign for everybody. The game's different this year because there are no fans and also because there's kind of an expanded roster. It's not the same thing as a normal September, but um, 28 players now on the roster, a few extra arms for Craig Council to work with, and he's been – that's been his playground, right? When he gets an expanded roster, it seems to be his strength and he can really manage a bullpen in those spots. How, how different is the game when you have those extra arms to contend with and to utilize when you're a manager, in your opinion? Well, it's always nice to have depth in both the starting rotation and depth in the bullpen. I mean, today's game is all about power arms and swing and miss stuff. And just kind of before we got on here, I looked at the stats and just the pitchers. I'm like, wow, they there's a lot of strikeouts piling up there, you know, unfortunately on the, on the offensive side, but on the pitching side as well. It just seems that that's, that's the way the game is. It's all about three run homers, your Earl Weaver approach and, and swing and miss stuff. If you have any questions for Jeff, we can still take a, a few more via the Q and a uh, uh, application or the Q and a option on our zoom call. So if you have questions, you can absolutely submit some of those. We'll try to get some of those in. Uh, before we wrap things up here on our clubhouse conversations, I want to go through some quick hitting stuff. Uh, we did this with Cecil Cooper on Monday. I just, I'm always curious, favorite ballpark. Where was your favorite place to play? And you, you don't have to say, I mean, we can just say take County Stadium and, and Miller Park out of the equation, right? Um, favorite ballpark for you to play in? Well, it definitely wouldn't have been County Stadium to hit him. How about that? <laughs> there you go. Um, old Yankee Stadium was a great place. I always hit very well there. Um, you know, statistically, I, I hit really well at the Pro Player Stadium in Florida, and, but I never liked going there. Uh, favorite place to go would probably be a Saturday afternoon in either Yankee Stadium or, or Fenway, for sure. Fenway seems to be a really popular uh, choice. For, have you, have you, you've been to the new Yankee Stadium as well, right? I haven't. I've never yeah, gotten back there. Yeah. So I'd, I'd never been to the old one. 
And we went to the new one in 2017. And of course they tried to replicate it the best that they could. Um, before we went, I just remember talking to Euchre about it and, and him explaining the, the smells and the sights and everything about old Yankee stadium. And he did such a, cause he's Bob Euchre. He did such a great job of explaining it to where you feel like you're in it as he's talking about it. And so when we got to new Yankee stadium, you're seeing a lot of these same things, but it, you didn't have that feel that, that unique feel of all these legends were here, right? Like there's just, there's something different about that. I mean, it doesn't have the same smells and everything else that, that old Yankee stadium I imagine had based upon my conversations with people that had been there. So um, I think they did the best they could to try to, to capture and, and keep the essence of Yankee stadium going, but there's only one, right? And uh, it's going to be the same thing with Fenway. I mean, they got to keep Fenway going forever. That's, that's one of my other ballparks I've never been to is Fenway park. There's like three in major league baseball right now. I haven't been to and Fenway's one of them. We were going to go this year. And of course those plans changed, which I mean, we're all, we're all dealing with the plans changing right now, but uh, that's one I'm really excited to see. Who was your favorite teammate over the course of your career? You know, I had a ton of, ton of great teammates. Uh, Greg Vaughn was, was great. You know, I mean, he always are, uh, really hold those close that really helped you along the way. And, and he was great with rookies and he was great with me. And, and it's, it's a tremendous relationship that I still have to this day with him. Uh, Mike Cameron was a tremendous teammate, you know, yeah. Jeff Jenkins, Mike Matheny, you know, Mark Loretta, look at me, just, I'm just rattling off all the brewers, but you know, I got Jeff Jenkins is a, is a dear, dear friend of mine. And, uh, and I even love the, you know, the JJ Hardys and the Ricky Weeks of the world. So, I mean, when you get to play long enough, you get to, you know, not only get pick the brain of, of, a, of a blooming rose of uh, Greg Vaughn, but then at the end, you get to smell the roses out the door and kind of hopefully you can, you know, lend some sage advice to the, to the younger players like a, a Hardy or a, a Weeks or a, or a Prince Fielder. Yeah, Greg Vaughn's going to join us on Clubhouse Conversations on the 24th, so we're excited to have Greg joining us for that. You mentioned a lot of guys, a couple of them, you know, still involved in baseball. Matheny, a manager with the Royals. Mark Loretto, of course, was the bench coach for the Cubs uh, last year and, and another great guy that is just fun to be around uh, when, when, when you start talking about great guys in the game. Mark Loretta is a name that comes up for a lot of people pretty, pretty frequently. Do you guys all stay in pretty close touch still to this day? I mean, obviously you and Jeff Jenkins do. I think you, you pretty much alluded to that. But do you stay in touch with a lot of the other guys still too? I do. And it's great when you run into being in, in the job that I, that I had being a scout. You know, A, it gave me autonomy at home and, and it gave me the ability to set my own schedule. Yeah. But the best thing about being a, a scout, in my opinion, is, is getting to see parts of the country that I would never see, you know, like Myrtle Beach or you know, Lynchburg, Virginia, Virginia yep. or, or Greensboro, just places. And, and every year I would try to hit a new city along the way because just it gives me an opportunity. But the best thing about that is going to the ballpark, not knowing who's going to be there. And then you're running into an old friend doing these games, you know, writing the reports doesn't always great, but at the same time, you're running into someone like an old friend and you're watching five baseball games with them. So that, that to me is the best part. And that's one of the things that really keeps me in the game. What did you enjoy about your experience? And we can talk about this spring when you were in the booth uh, with Brian Anderson and the TV team, what did you ex enjoy about that experience the most? You know what I loved about it was, you know, cause when you're a scout, you know, you're evaluating and you're assessing and you're trying to analyze the thing. 
but being up there, you're, you're part of the team in, in a lot of ways. And you're, you're fluffing these guys and you're hoping for the best, especially spring training, right? You know, guys are working on things and then he got, what was Matthias that, that made the team. I'm drawing, yeah. I might be butchering his name yep. right now. No, you got but, it. That's it. But he was great, you know, and you could just tell that he was getting after it from day one, right? Some other guys are kind of working on their stuff and, and, you know, Kane's working on his swing and, but, this guy was getting after day one and you know, cause you've been in that situation where he's just desperately trying to open an eye in spring training and he did. Right. And so he was on the team. I, I think now he just, now that Braun came off the deal, but he got his opportunity and he got some hits, right? What'd you, what'd you think of the new spring training complex too? Oh my gosh. It was phenomenal. You know, I mean, we had Chandler back in the day right? and we had Marysville, but, but the clubhouse alone, I mean, just one of those things that, those guys probably get, it's hard to get them to leave, you know, Shogger and, and Phil Roswitz and Tony down there. They're like, all right, guys, time to go. Well, sure. we appreciate it, uh, Jeff. It, it's been a pleasure having you with us. We've, we've really had a lot of fun and uh, we're excited to see the Brewers try to get after the twins here tonight and, and, and get back to 500, hopefully tonight with a win, but uh, appreciate your thoughts and your insights. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon down the road. Okay. Anytime. And our thanks, as always, to everybody who joins us on Clubhouse Conversations, this time it being, of course, Jeff Cirillo. Always good to talk to Rillo. He's one of the great guys in Brewers history. All right, uh, Adrian Hauser's been really good and really impressive. So is Brandon Woodruff. The Brewers are feeling good about what they're throwing out there right now from a pitching standpoint. And the guy that has been in charge of mentoring these young men is Brewers pitching coach Chris Hook. And he helped me break it all down. Let's break it down. We're joined by Brewers pitching coach Chris Hook. And what an uncommon season this has been. And I'm sure getting guys ready for this season was more challenging than you probably have ever experienced in your life. But at the same time, it feels like everybody, for the most part, embraced it and took it for what it was. And really, your pitching staff is off to a good start this year. You have to feel really good about some of the specific arms that have stepped forward this year so far. For sure, Lane. It was a challenge. I mean, I thought we were in a really good spot in spring, in the middle of March. Uh, We were kind of just getting to a ramp-up period. These guys were getting out to four and five innings, and I thought we were in a really good spot. And then, of course, we, I think, initially thought it was going to be a week you know, we'll be gone a week and we'll be back. So we had a, that was the challenge is like the prep, like, okay, we're going to give you guys a few days and then, okay, how long are we going to be out? And then it ended up being a month and two and three. So um, it, it was a uh, challenge uh, just to make the commitment on, okay, here's when we're coming back. Uh, that's kind of where we had to work from. We had to make a commitment on, okay, what's the date that we're going to work from? And that was, a big step because we really didn't know um, and, and talking with the guys and like, Hey, this is what we need to know. And, and got with counts and, and David and like, okay, here's, we're going to, we're going to shoot for uh, June 10th to 15th is kind of the area that we were looking at. So we weren't too far off trying to take an educated guess. And we got our guys prepped for that time. And, and they did an extremely good job. The, the job that our guys did on their own was incredible. Uh, we led them through that but uh, there was a lot of communication on a weekly basis with the entire 25 man group that we had in spring that we left with uh, once COVID hit and I felt really good about what they were able to get done. 
obviously Brandon Woodruff has kind of picked right up where he left off. I think everybody anticipated that would be the case with Brandon and he's turning into one of the elite starting pitchers, not just in the national league, but maybe in all of major league baseball. And a lot of people were hoping Adrian Hauser would be that next guy to take that leap. It looks like he's made that jump. I know it's early, but he has had some dominant outings so far. And even his last start, it was really one mistake. Otherwise that would have been a pretty dominant outing from Adrian as well. Right. Uh, Adrian is taking that next step and, and, and he's so quiet in how he does things. I mean, uh, Woody, you could see the intensity and there's a quiet intensity, but uh, he's just very uh, placid, I guess is the word for, for Adrian. He just, there's nothing that really uh, bothers him. So it's hard to see that, but there's a, there's a quiet intensity to him. And yes, he has taken the next step. Uh, you know, I've seen this guy since 2015 kind of make an evolution. Obviously, he had a little bit of a setback with Tommy John. But, yes, he's making steps and he's improving pitches. He's improving his pitch qualities uh, in a lot of ways. And, uh, and obviously, getting out there competing against big league hitters is, is kind of where you kind of find out where you're at. And he's doing a really good job with that. Are you at times like a proud papa, specifically with those two guys? You, you had them in the minor leagues. You've been a big part of their development. I know Adrian's not quote-unquote homegrown, but in many ways it feels like he is because he's been in the organization a long time and he's been through so much from an injury and health standpoint in the organization to get him to this point. Do you ever just sit back and really appreciate what those two guys have been able to do from a development standpoint? Well, it's not just those two guys. There's a yeah. lot of guys that I've, I've just felt like I've had such a good connection. And it feels like, you know, it's, it feels like, I hate to say this. I don't hate to say it, but it feels like a family. Uh, yeah. I, these guys are like, not so, not my children. I hope I feel like an uncle, uh, a proud uncle. But, you know, I, I, you know, with the Freddies and the, and the Corbins and the Woodies and even Hater, uh, the list goes down the line. I've had Brent Suter. Uh, I mean, I've had these guys so much and they know the expectation level of think that the way I do things and, and what I'm expecting out of them. Um, and I, I think this just makes it, it just makes it flow so easy. Hey, I know you, you know me, this is what I expect. This is what I know that you're going to give me. Uh, and then we can push, you know, we can push a lot easier that way, as opposed to if I'm just getting to know someone, they don't trust me or they're getting to know me. Um, uh, I, I really feel good about this group as a whole because, again, like I, I feel like uh, we're related in some ways. You've had some pleasant surprises. Eric Yardley's been really good for you so far this year. Obviously, David Phelps looks like that back into the bullpen guy. He was uh, pre-Tommy John as well. The stuff has played really well. But also, you, you have a couple of guys that have kind of had some nice bounce backs. Specifically, I want to talk about Corbin Burns because he had a really tough year last year. He went to work about a week after the season was over. And I know you had a lot to do with maybe some different pitch selection ideas and some things of that nature, but he has really looked good. And even in last night's contest, got into some trouble in the sixth inning, but found a way to minimize that damage and then bounce back and have two good innings after that. That's, that's a real good sign of maturity as well, I would think. Yeah, Corbin's taken another step. And I think last year was like, okay, this is – this is how I have to make an adjustment. This is what I'm going to do. We had a plan in place. We even started September like, hey, we need to change some things. Yeah. And we took September like, like we can't waste this time. What's, what are we going to do to restructure what you're doing to make sure that you're prepared for 2020? And he started that. I mean, he was upset that, uh, you know, he wasn't pitching a whole lot, but we took that time to kind of start that wheel churning. 
And uh, then we then we met again in Arizona, made sure we put a plan in place. And and again, it's just it's about you know I think you take your stuff and how it works and have an understanding of it and it makes some adjustments. And then that's what he's been able to do. And I mean, there's not I mean we've got a lot of guys with really good routines and sound, sound work ethic. Corbin's right up there, and he's taking it and he's taking it day by day. He's taking him. He's taking another step in his mental game as well. Uh, so I mean, there's there's a lot of been a lot of hard work on Corbin's part. We gave him a plan to put in place, and he's done it. And uh, I think we're seeing some of the benefits of that. When you have an expanded roster, it gives you maybe a little flexibility to have some extra arms, and you have a a, a good variety of arms. When when you start talking about Brent Suter, obviously very unique. Eric Yardley, unique arm slot. I mean, we Alex Claudio, unique arm slot. You can go. Uh, kind of up and down the list and, and see that there's a lot of, but then there's a lot of just pure stuff guys. And you added a couple of pure stuff guys, one from the right side, one from the left side on Thursday. And I, I think everybody's excited to see what Perdomo and Rasmussen are going to be able to do because uh, these are exciting arms. And I know you can't wait to, to get them in some action, but also just to continue their development as they, they get a taste of the big leagues. Yeah. I think it was kind of cool to see those guys in spring and how they responded in spring and, uh, you know, I've seen Rasmussen uh, on the on the backfields uh, per se, as they used to say, the backfields of uh, Maryville, and and obviously this guy's got an explosive arm. Uh, I mean, he's got he's got velo uh, out out of the roof, and uh, and and he's really taking a good turn on his breaking stuff too. So, and, and not that he has velo, but he he has a maturity level that I think can handle these moments. And then I, I think that his stuff and, and how he's uh, using his stuff is, is improving as we go along. He's able to kind of put forth a plan up in Appleton as well. So we're looking forward to seeing how he brings that plan into a major league game. And Perdomo, man, I, he, he came in early and, and, and worked on some pitch design stuff and really sharpened his skills. We gave him a plan before he came in. And it was almost like he, he visually changed all that once we said, hey, we want to change this. And he came in with a really solid foundation of, uh, on the pitch and, and like really took off. And there's a confidence that brewed in him. Last year, last spring, he came in and he was new and unsure of himself. And this spring he came in like, you know, he had his shoulders back, ready to go. And just like a totally different guy. And he really, he brought in that confidence and, and pitched extremely well. And of course, you know, COVID hit and then hit him again. And then like, this guy keeps coming. He's an unstoppable, he's a juggernaut. He's an unstoppable force, you know, like he keeps coming. So we're really excited about what Perdomo can bring and, and look forward to see him get on the mound as soon as, soon as possible. Uh, it, it's been a fun start to the year, and I know that uh, there's been some really encouraging signs on the mound, and hopefully that just continues to, to move forward and the offense gets going a little bit and, and the crew can get on a roll. It's a, it's a unique and fun season, and we're, we're, we're enjoying it, and we're going to continue to enjoy it. We appreciate it, Chris. All right, Lane. Take care. And my thanks to Chris Hook for joining me here on Brewers on Tap. That is going to do it for us this week. We'll be back with you next week. Hopefully the Brewers with a bunch of wins in them between now and next week when we talk again. Have a safe and healthy week, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Brewers on Tap. I'm Lane Brewers. Brewers.